Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that discusses what used to be known as the war on terror and what we call the long war. And we delve into other areas as well. Today, I have the pleasure to be joined by my friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Jonathan Shanzer. He's a senior vice president for research at FDD or Foundation for Defense of Democracies, as well as uh, Joe Trusman. He's a research analyst with me at uh, FDD's Long War Journal, and he focuses primarily on Palestinian militant groups and Hezbollah. So, uh, of course, today we're going to talk Israel, Palestinian jihadist groups, Hezbollah, and the recent happenings in in Israel and the surrounding region. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Generation Jihad. Uh, Joe, John, thanks for joining me again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Good to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to talk with you guys. So we, we've had a lot going on in the last uh, several months in Israel, uh, particularly. Uh, now, look, I want to be perfectly clear, and I, I think uh, Joe and John would agree with me, but we'll we'll hear from them shortly. What we're witnessing uh, a recent, I would call it an uptick in violence, but really there's been an uptick in violence in in and around Israel and the West Bank and Gaza for the past two years, almost two years now, probably since what uh, early to mid 2021. But this does seem to be culminating into what may or may not be uh, what we may call the third intifada. So, uh, Joe, we'll start with the West Bank and Gaza, because this is uh, we've, we've really seen some significant events develop in the West Bank and Gaza. Let's uh, t- tell us what's happened. Just give us a brief overview of what's happened in the West Bank and Gaza. Obviously, there's fa- and by the way, people, folks, Joe has a great tracker on the um, and it's uh, it's at FDD's website of the incidents uh, that occur- that are occurring in the West Bank and in Gaza. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend taking a look at that. But Joe, uh, give us just give us a brief overview of what's been going on. Right. Uh, thanks, Bill, for uh, for having me on. Uh, so, what hasn't happened really? It's been uh, it's it's been very. How should I put it? It's, I'm very concerned, and the reason is uh, I'll tell you. Um, there's some key points that were the last. We know this has been going on. There's been a lot of violence since May 2021, uh, around there, the summer 2021, summer of 2021, especially in the West Bank. And in at least in recent weeks, there have been shootings, terrorist attacks against Israelis in the West Bank. Uh, two of them that happened a couple of weeks ago, in, one in uh, Hawada, another one in the Jordan Valley. Last week, for example, there was a shooting in uh, a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv near a cafe on, on Dizengoff Street or off Dizengoff Street, which is one of the busiest streets in, in Tel Aviv. And uh, on Monday, there was a bombing in northern Israel. It's, it, was, it's, it happened near the, the security fence, uh, the West Bank uh, security fence. And that is that one is super concerning. We can talk more about it later, but I'll say that uh, the IDF suspects in that specific bombing that happened on Monday that Hezbollah is likely involved, which brings in uh, that foreign actors are, are, are trying to get themselves into uh, involving themselves in this violence that we've been seeing and, and the terror attacks in Israel and the West Bank. We can talk a lot more about that later, but uh, but right now, 
from what I've seen and observed since, which I've been tracking since May uh, 2021, is that things are bad. It's daily attacks, or at least claims of attacks as well, against uh, by militants, by Palestinian militant organizations, uh, against IDF troops in the West Bank, uh, as well as shootings against Israelis or uh, or targeting uh, settlements. So it's it's bad, basically. And the what I'm concerned about here is that I don't see an end to it. Uh, so that's where we're at right now. Things aren't good. John, give us your take on what's been happening over the last couple of weeks in, in West Bank and Gaza. And um, we should uh, delve a little bit more into that, uh, that has what we believe to be a Hezbollah attack. And, and I will say one thing. I think when it comes to, to Palestinian terrorist groups, foreign actors are always involved. It's just that if, if Hezbollah itself actually planted a bomb, it's just that's an act, you know, if a uh, direct foreign involvement, whereas, you know, look, Hezbollah, Iran and uh, other other actors are are. The reality is, is that the Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and, and groups like that, I think they'd be a shell of themselves without the support from from the foreigners. So there always is a, an element of foreign foreign support. But I'm sure I'm, you wouldn't disagree with me on that, Joe. But yeah, go ahead, John. Tell us. Tell us. Uh, give us your view on what's been going on. Yeah, look, um, I, I think, you know, Joe, Joe summed up, I think, rather well, kind of the, the tactical situation, I think. From my perspective, I want to go back to that May 2021 uh, marker where we started tracking this violence. Um, there are a couple of things that I think are, are worth noting based on what we now understand. Um, first of all, uh, what we learned during that war uh, between Hamas and Israel was that um, there was something that is now being referred to as a nerve center uh, that was stood up. Um, it could be virtual, it could be physical, we're still not sure, the details are vague, but essentially it's the Iranian IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, working with Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and other groups, um, and they are coordinating the violence, they are coordinating the smuggling of weapons into the West Bank, they are probing for weaknesses within the Israeli system, they're looking for ways to go on a violent offensive against Israel. And this is, I think, uh, we've been watching. There's been something like 1,300 attacks that Joe has tracked on this uh, on, the, uh, on this map uh, project that he's put together. It's an excellent um, uh, bit of research. I definitely recommend folks to, uh, to take a look at it. But, you know, we've seen 1,300 different incidents, and that's just on the Palestinian side. The Israelis are responding in kind, and so we're watching an escalation that certainly appears to be prompted by the Iranians in some shape or form, by Hezbollah in some shape or form, the weapons the um, and, and the coordination for sure. So that's one. The other thing that I think is worth noting, trekking back to the end of that conflict uh, from May of 2021, and we've now heard this from Israeli officials, and I have no reason to believe otherwise. Um, in fact, it makes a lot of sense that Hamas undertook a strategic decision that it no longer wanted to um, fight wars on its own turf in the Gaza Strip. This is incredibly logical, right? I mean, they've been getting shellacked, you know, in one conflict after another. We can look at four major conflicts. All it did, all it did was to bring destruction upon the Gaza Strip each time. And so there has been a decision made, as we understand it, undertaken by the Hamas leadership with help from uh, Iran, with help from Hezbollah. They want to export the violence to the West Bank. 
And this is a double whammy for them. You got to understand, not only is it that they're no longer going to absorb a huge amount of um, of destruction on their own turf, and it would allow them to, let's say, build up a bigger stockpile of, of rockets and things like that. But at the same time, they get to attack the Palestinian Authority, which is their you know, political opponent. They would like nothing more than to control the West Bank and bring down the PA. And by the way, at the same time, they're also taking shots at Israel. So there's no loss for them, right? This is a win-win-win actually for them. And so it appears that that's what's going on. So now fast forward to where we are today, and it's interesting that it's not just Hamas that's that that we see engaged in this activity. We see groups like Palestinian Islamic Jihad, also an Iranian proxy group. We see groups like the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, which, by the way, is very troubling to me because this is a splinter of the ruling Fatah faction. These are supposed to be the, the secular guys in all of this, and they're engaging in this violence. And then there's a new group that apparently is, is drawing fighters from all of these groups, it's called the Lion's Den, and we did not make up this terrible name. They made it up. We can just, you know, we can just make fun of it, right? But so you got this Lion's Den group that is now attracting fighters as well. And it all appears to be, at least in my view, a direct result of a strategic decision undertaken in the aftermath of that 2021 conflict. Uh, and we're watching the fruits of it. And they are bitter fruits right now for the Israelis. We are, as they say, perhaps on the verge uh, of a third intifada. Yeah, it's it's really a very clever. It's interesting to hear. I, I had not heard that. That was something I suspected, John, about Hamas operating now. Like that's That seemed to be very clear, expanding its reach into the West Bank. And, you know, look, it's learning. It's learned after, you know, as you noted, decades of destruction being rained upon the Gaza Strip. It's deciding let's not shit where we eat and let's do it where our main political rival does. It really is a, a very crafty, a very skilled um, strategy. Uh, you mentioned that new group. What but is by it the called? way, Bill, I'll just let me sorry to interrupt, but I'll no, just say ahead. they're taking a page out of the Israeli playbook. I mean, that, that's kind of the irony of all of this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Israel's defense strategy is predicated on the idea that they never want to fight another war on home turf. Um, and so Hamas is to some extent learning from the Israelis. It's yeah. smart. It's logical. It's self-preservation at the end of the day. Um, and uh, it's definitely going to complicate things for the Israelis. Yeah, it makes it difficult for the Israelis to strike in Gaza without like it, it takes away in, in, in many ways a justification for the Israelis to go after Hamas leadership. They've gained that plausible element of plausible deniability. They could say it's not us. It's happening in the West Bank. Hamas exists in Gaza. I mean, if I was them, that's exactly that would be my response. So I think I, I concur with you in, in many ways. It's clever on on, on so many levels. What's the name of that new group again, John? That the they're sticking I, the I, lion's den. The li- <laughs> it reminds me. I, I I'm going to show my age here, but probably the best movie ever. Um, you all laugh at me for this, but it's 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 Die Hard. And there's a scene when the also the best villain ever, uh, Hans Gruber, talks about. You know, he's talking to the FBI investigator uh, or the uh, negotiators, and he's talking about all these groups he wants to lead. Uh, released. And one of them is uh, he says he wants you know, 20 members of the Asian Dawn and, and his his henchman turns to him with a puzzled look on his face and says, Asian Dawn? And Gerber turns around and he says, I read about him in Time magazine. 
I just that's what it aligns then for some reason. You know what? Con- actually, I, I was thinking about a different movie, but it's go funny for it. that, that this is this is where you know our minds go to. But I, I was thinking about uh the Schwarzenegger movie, uh True Lies. Yes, Crimson Jihad. Crimson Jihad, that's another <laughs> classic. Yeah. Listen, the 80s and the early 90s action movies, folks. Uh, we could do a podcast on that alone. Um, some of the best stuff. That's perfect. But like, you know, that gets to a point I wanted to discuss. This is clearly, I know you guys agree. We had a conversation about this offline. Um, uh, this is clearly uh, a, a front group. And I, I've seen this numerous times in multiple theaters. One of the my favorites is a group and it goes, but maybe, maybe this is it was a group called the Asian Tigers in Pakistan. And really it was just Pakistani jihadists who who needed plausible deniability to to wax them uh inter-service intelligence agents that that were no longer on board with its jihadist project. Um and they they started conducting some attacks. And that, that, but again I've seen this in oh you know Ansar Dean Ansar Dean in, in Mali and um, all, all these groups uh, that throughout the Middle East, and I think that I think again, I think Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and are, are taking a page out of out of that, getting themselves a little plausible deniability on some of these attacks. It's really yeah, smart that, strategy in my my. It, opinion. it is, and, and and maybe you know Joe can talk a little bit more about this, but the the group itself, it's interesting because they're well funded, they're well organized, they appear to actually have some training. Um, and, um, you know, we've heard at least that there's some indication of funding coming from Iran, but also via Turkey, which is an interesting wrinkle in all of this. I mean, Bill, you and I have talked a lot about sure. Turkey in the past and its support for a range of, uh, of, of bad actors, whether that support is direct or not, I, you know, we just don't know. Uh, but what, what's just interesting is that in many ways, this does appear to be, to be organic, right? That you've got fighters that maybe are tired of all these other groups that have failed to deliver in the past. Uh, and perhaps there's limitations on these groups uh, because of their patrons. Um, and so there is this new group. And yes, it appears to be well-organized and well-funded, but it also does have a sort of organic feel to it, which, you know, I'll say that that is what kind of worries me when we try to figure out, is this a third intifada? Is it not a third intifada? When you start to see things that feel organic and new groups are sprouting up left and right, um, and we are seeing new groups, right? It's not just the Lions Den. There's a bunch of other battalions that have emerged within the West Bank that we've never heard of before. A lot of this is leaderless. I was talking with Joe about this recently. We, we don't necessarily even know who all the leaders are of these various factions running around in the West Bank. And that's what concerns me right now, this kind of, uh, the kind of growing chaos or as they say in Arabic, Fauda. I'm going to, um, well, I'm, you know, again, there's a lot we don't know here, but I'm I'm going back to well over a decade. To me, groups like this don't exist in anywhere, frankly, where they, look, I look at Iraq, where all these, these Shia groups that never existed before started claiming tax against the U.S. We really know they were, Group, they were part of like a Iraqi this Iraqi group known as Hezbollah brigades and and uh, all these other um, designated terrorist groups. I re- but I, I recall back in the early 2010s there was um, Al Qaeda linked groups that were popping up in Gaza and Hamas snuffed them out really quickly. I don't think groups like Hamas Palestinian. This is just my opinion. I don't think they they suffer these groups. Um, if, if they're real competition, this is why I suspect they're more of plausible deniability or front groups. I could be very wrong about this. 
But um, that's my read on the situation. Joe, I'm curious what you think, uh, you know, about, about that. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. They're, 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 as John said, they're, as well, they're front groups. I mean, for, for instance, Hamas and Gaza, you know, they do their their rallies and, you know, armed men walking around and stuff. You know. And uh, I've seen plenty of evidence or, you know, video and, and photos of, of Hamas, uh, members of Hamas, or what they usually call, they, they refer to themselves as well as uh, Al-Qassam brigades, uh, but they're all just Hamas. Um, yeah. They're wearing uh, lion's den patches and carrying lion's den flags and things like that. It's it's so, it's it's become clear that Hamas has a huge interest in the lion's den. And from folks that I have, from people that I've spoken to that are familiar with the subject, uh, Hamas is supporting them, absolutely. And, and not only uh, in the media, but uh, financially as well. Uh, like uh, I think John mentioned earlier, these uh, this organization is just made up of, of different uh, militants from different backgrounds, from different groups, uh, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, PFLP, DFLP. Uh, and it's... It's it's very interesting in the way they they formed. It was it was they they were established. They were established in I'd say I first noticed them in late August uh, last year, and right away I could tell this was something different. They were all well armed. They were organized. It, it wasn't something that I had seen with other Palestinian groups, nascent Palestinian organizations. Uh, so something you could tell right away something was off with them. And the Israelis, uh, the security services, uh, really hurt them for, uh, in, I'd say August eliminate, I'm sorry, last October, they eliminated, uh, key members of their leader, of the Lions and leadership. But, um, they this group is resilient. They, uh, they're back now. They're claiming attacks. And it's, uh, it's very, it's, it's distressing. And also they have a, they, control a huge or rather they're very popular in uh, the Palestinian territories and in the Arab world in general super popular uh, so that's um so it's it's almost like a a movement and you know it's difficult to to uh defeat a movement so i don't know how this is going to uh how this is going to end up with the lines down as well and there's other organizations as well that i'm seeing especially gaza based organizations that are usually not active in the west bank that are saying they are now and there's some evidence but nothing yet to really tell me that oh these guys are like uh these guys are are definitely in there or definitely active in the west bank so i think there's some propaganda uh as well uh playing in here so it's uh but yes bottom line lines then is back they're very strong uh they're very active in the west bank and other groups as well are trying to establish a foothold in the west bank Oh, John, you have anything to add to that? No, look, you know, we're watching new groups, uh, new groups emerged um, in the last Intifada or not the last one. Well, actually, in the last one, we saw groups like the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade emerge and, and become major players. Uh, in the first Intifada from 87, we saw uh, the emergence of a group called Hamas. Um, right. When, whenever you see new groups emerge in this way, I think it's a warning sign. Um, right. Historically, we can learn from this. Whether it means that we're now in the middle of a of a third intifada, I don't know. Uh, what I can say though is that there's a lot of talk right now that with Ramadan on the horizon, uh, that that's the thing to watch. Um, and and on that, maybe if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to explore that for a minute because I think it it actually points to a really 
ridiculous and troubling trend um, in the way that um, analysis is produced right now um, on this issue. Now, we know that in, in the past couple of years um, that Ramadan has brought with it um, various rounds of violence. There was, you know, there was the great march of return that we saw where people were attacking the border fence in 2018 um, in Gaza. And, and that was kind of a Ramadan related um, uh, event. Uh, certainly in the lead up to the 2021 war with Hamas, there was a lot of tension surrounding Ramadan at the time, Israel's limitations on who could and couldn't pray up on the Temple Mount, Israel responding to violence, whether it was rock throwing or firing off of fireworks, Israel responded and the escalations happened from there. Last year, Ramadan was um, another moment of tension. Um, and, and so now we've gotten to the point where, um, you know, you've got governments warning that Ramadan will bring violence with it. Let me just stop for a second and point out, maybe it should be obvious to everyone listening here, but for 20 years, we've been having these debates in the West and, and around the world about whether um, Islam is a religion of peace or is it a religion of violence? Now, look, I will tell you, I don't think that there's anything inherently violent uh, within the Islamic faith, right? It's all about interpretation, but the idea that the government of the United States would be warning that Ramadan is a time of violence or that the government of Jordan would be uh, spouting this stuff and warning that Ramadan is going to be inherently a dangerous time in the region. This is the wrong approach. We should not be accepting this. We should not be allowing this to happen at face value. And um, I, I just I don't understand the thinking that goes into this, that we would lend credence to the idea that Ramadan would bring with it that kind of violence. Now, this is the exploitation of a religious holiday by groups like Hamas. And by the way, we see it from the likes of Iran, right? They've created the Al-Quds Day, which is the last Friday of every Ramadan, where they're literally trying to push people out on the streets to confront the Israeli government um, and to delegitimize Israel and call for its destruction, okay? So in other words, this has been exploited for a while now. And Bill, I'm sure you can you know, think of your own examples of this, where we saw surges of violence uh, by insurgents in Iraq or uh, the Taliban or other groups in Afghanistan, right? People have been doing this for a long time, but this is the first time where I've seen governments, the United States government, again, Jordan coming out and saying, well, you know, Ramadan brings with it violence. This is insane to me. And it seems like it's just only encouraging uh, these various groups to up uh, the ante as it relates to attacks against Israel in what we expect in another week. Yeah, John, I'm really glad you brought this up. I mean, this is to me, you know, I've always said there's two main failures that we in the West have had in the war. And one is explaining the nature of the threat when it comes to to jihadist violence, whether it be in Israel or against Al-Qaeda, against the violence inspired by Islamic State, and explaining that threat and understanding it. And then um, and the and then continuing to tell this to the American public, to the Western public, you know, that's why we lost the war. We tired because a president wasn't really willing to stand up there and talk about it. But, but more importantly, we just failed to fight the ideological war. And what you're explaining here is actually giving into the narrative of our enemies. And that is just such a huge, we legitimize the U S government, as you noted, legitimize the idea that Ramadan is a violent 
holiday. And that just isn't the case. And you're absolutely correct, John. Uh, I, I, you know, the Taliban especially exploited this. It would, uh, it would have, it would, the Ramadan holiday was almost, it would stand down. And then as soon as it was over, you would see a spike in violence and it would attribute its attacks to, you know, a celebration for Ramadan. Al Qaeda has done this. The Islamic state has done this. And again, it, it's perpetuated this notion that Islam is a, is a violent religion. Certainly there's a debate, you know, within every religion, um, you know, of, of areas of texts, but it certainly isn't to our advantage to make things up about religion, to say that Ramadan is a, is a violent holiday does nothing to uh, help us uh, maintain support for this war or to, you know, or, or, or maintain allies that are Muslims who might balk at the idea that the United States is saying one of their most holiest holidays is a violent holiday. Yeah. And, and I'll just put a finer point on that. You know, hundred percent. Right. Um, what's interesting is that we also see coming out of the United States right now um, statements about how the overlap of Ramadan, Easter, and Passover is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I mean, tell me the last time somebody carried out an Easter attack, right? Or a Passover. This is not logical, okay, to be able to, to argue right now that the confluence of these holidays uh, is a problem. Then break it down from there and look at, you know, Ramadan itself. This is supposed to be a time of fasting, of introspection, of family. There's nothing inherently violent about this holiday. And yet this is the narrative that we've arrived at. And what really actually bothers me, I mean, it bothers me that Jordan is out there, you know, sort of lending credence to this. But then there's countries, you know, where I think we would expect the leadership to stand up and to contest this, right? Whether it's Saudi Arabia or the UAE or maybe you know some of the other uh, Abraham Accords countries, the countries that have normalized with Israel, or forgetting even normalization. Maybe this has nothing to do with Israel. Yeah, fact, I, I concur with that, John. Right? It's, it's it's a, sl- a slur on Islam itself. You would exactly. Think. So may, maybe this is the time where Muslims need to stand up. I mean, this is just me, you know, riffing here, but seems to me like this is a time for Muslim governments. Um, and, uh, you know, multilateral organizations to come out and say Hamas, you know, this is not an excuse for violence. In fact, I think it is counterproductive to be engaging in this kind of violence right now. And by the way, I'll just note, it's really interesting. There was a fatwa that came out of an Islamic council in Iraq just this week, um, where a number of Islamic clerics declared Hamas to be anti-Islamic. Now, they didn't tie this to the the kind of expected Ramadan campaign. But I would argue that this is a role for them to play right now is to condemn violence should it um, really begin to surge during Ramadan to condemn this as something that is anti-Islamic. This is the kind of thing that you would hope to see that might finally end this ridiculous conversation that we've been having about whether an entire religion is violent or not violent. It's a ridiculous thing to talk about we need to point out those that are exploiting this for their own ends. Yeah, I could not agree with you anymore, John. That's, that's uh, well said. So let's uh, move on. The uh, the current political prices, crisis in Israel, how is this affecting uh, events on the ground uh, in the West Bank, particularly, and in Gaza as well? 
I'll start. I'll, with I'll you, start. I'm sure. I'm, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Joe's got some thoughts too. Um, look, I, I would say that um, th- there are indications that uh, you know reservists uh, don't want to report for duty, and there have been you know some indications of people vowing to not show up for service. Um, from what I can tell so far, you know that this isn't posing a significant challenge to the IDF. Uh, but you know, it's early days, right? I mean, the the protests continue to mount. The tension is growing. Uh, you had Israel's president uh, the other day warn of a possible civil war, which is just crazy to hear about. Yeah, and you and you definitely get a sense that groups like Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, right, they want to exploit this, and that's been my concern throughout this. I think, look, it's well within the bounds of uh, democratic societies to debate the role of the judiciary um, and how it's appointed, and right, all, all these things, right, they're they're well within bounds. Um, how the government is pursuing this and how the opposition is pushing back on it. You know what? Let's leave that aside for a minute because I, I think that's probably not the reason why we're 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 here to here today talking. What I would say though is the timing of this troubles me. Right? You got Iran knocking on the nuclear doorstep. You got Hezbollah potentially involved in an attack, which I'm sure we'll talk about in Israel's north. You got a West Bank that seems like it's on a knife's edge with Hamas looking to exploit uh, the the holy month of Ramadan, right? It seems like a witch's brew, a pretty nasty cocktail right now, security threats. Is this really the time that you want to have tens of thousands of people out in the streets um, where they're protesting against their own? Seems to me like this is bad timing at minimum. That's my that's my take. You know, I'm mixed on that. I certainly don't want a, um, you know, to suppress protest, not suppress, but discourage protests because there's a a foreign threat. But, I, you know, what does bother me more so is, you know, threats of reservists, you know, to refusing call ups, things of that nature. That's where it becomes overtly, you know, you know, it it exceeded the bounds of, to me, acceptable political protests there. You have a very real threat. Joe, uh, your thoughts on uh, on the developments with the and and to be clear, folks, we're talking about obviously talking about the election of Benjamin Netanyahu and, uh, you know, the the opposition from the the left to his uh, retaking control of uh, the Israeli government. Um, But Joe, go ahead. Your thoughts, Howard, Howard, uh, I'm sure you have a better um, better understanding of how Hamas and other groups are are reacting to this and exploiting to this. Right. So John, John said it correctly. I completely agree with him. Uh, But I think uh, we're adding to that is that it wouldn't surprise me if Hamas is seeing Hamas and others, Hezbollah, uh, for example, as well. Uh, they're noticing they they sense weakness in the Israeli government just because of the uh, current political instability and uh, the violence that's been going on for almost like a year and a half now. So, I, I, I it would it wouldn't surprise me if they're taking advantage of this. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, Hassan Nasrallah. Hezbollah's uh, secretary general. He even mentioned it in a recent speech. What was happening in Israel with the political instability? So, there's the Israel's enemies uh, are have taken notice, and doesn't surprise me at all that things are getting bad, especially in the last in the in, in recent weeks, um, especially with this Hezbollah bombing or suspected Hezbollah bombing. And uh, we could 
get a little more into that after if you'd like, but uh, it's, um, I, I completely believe that these organizations, again, Hamas, Islamic Jihad and others and Hezbollah, even Iran are, are exploiting what's happening in Israel. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, thank you, Joe. And yeah, so this violence that we're seeing now, the media has essentially characterized this as a reaction to a right-wing government, the Netanyahu government coming to power. This, this, as we've noted multiple times on this podcast, this clearly isn't the case. It, it started in May of 2021. Why, why is the media latching onto this narrative that this is all this violence is a reaction to a Netanyahu government coming into power? And, and again, this really does play into the hands of, of Hamas and Hezbollah and other groups, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and, and other groups as well. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Joe and I wrote a piece for the Washington Examiner, uh, I guess it was about two weeks now. Um, And, um, you know, what we noted is how how lazy this narrative is that somehow um, that all of what we're seeing in the West Bank is a reaction to the new government of Netanyahu. And that uh, now, look, there are those who are saying that they are responding to Netanyahu's government. But what they're doing is they're adding to a trend. They're not starting a trend. Right. Maybe there is an uptick in violence. Maybe there isn't. I mean, the point is, is that if you've been tracking this now for a year and a half and you can say definitively that this tracks back to the end of the 2021 war, can we say that Netanyahu's government is driving this? 100 percent not. And I think that's lazy journalism. Um, it may be new to them because they weren't tracking this in a granular way, the way that Joe Trusman has, for example. Right. Yes. He's been watching this now uh, for the better part of two years and he can point to these trends got journalists now who are just saying, well, you know, this is new to me. So therefore, hey, let's let's convey that in the headlines. And um, look, I, I, it's it, it's no secret that there are a lot of reporters that airdrop themselves into this conflict. And, you know, they pick up right where they want to, not where <laughs> things actually started. So it's unfortunate that that's what's happening. It's adding additional pressure, I think, to the situation that we see um, in Israel. Right. Um and uh, look, at a certain point, though, the narrative can potentially take on a life of its own, right, where, you know, you will see more and more people exploiting the current chaos and trying to wield the chaos in Israel um, for their own ends. And so there is kind of a danger of a self-fulfilling prophecy that comes with this um, narrative. But it is, I think, really silly right now for for anyone to believe that this is new um, or driven by anything other than Hamas's strategic decision undertaken after 2021 with Iranian help, with Hezbollah help. And again, this recent attack that we saw purportedly out of Lebanon, potentially with the help of Hezbollah, um, would, I think, point to that broader picture, right? That you've got a range of actors who are looking to poke and prod and identify Israeli weaknesses and potentially at one point launch a full-throated campaign. That's what we're watching. That's what we're afraid of. But I don't think it's organic. I don't think it stems from Israeli politics. I think this was a strategic decision, which is, you know, I think in a long line of strategic decisions undertaken by what we would call the axis of Iran, right? All of these actors have long sought Israel's destruction. They keep throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. This is the latest effort. Yeah, John, and you you had said something, the par- reporters parachuting in. I, if I had a dime 
for every time I read that the Taliban retired and I always joke, yeah, they're so tired they took over a country or Al Qaeda is resurgent in X, Y or Z place when they've always been there. It's it's it really is. I don't know if this is a result of lazy journalism, click journalism, headline journalism, but it's it really is not helpful in understanding the nature of these conflicts. It's it's something that bothers me to no end. Um, it's one of the reasons why we keep the long war journal to try and, um, ex- you know, there the, are readers and readers of, of SDD's research understand that these are far more complicated conflicts that don't have simplistic narratives that are, you know, that, that generate headlines in, in, in newspapers and earn clicks and, and advertising revenue. Uh, I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and this is Generation Jihad. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jonathan Shanzer. He's the senior vice president for research at FDD and Joe Trusman. He's a research analyst at FDD's Long War Journal. Um, we're talking, obviously, the recent violence uh, and the continuum of violence in, in Israel, the Gaza and the West Bank. John, you had mentioned that a Hezbollah attack, and we we had briefly mentioned that earlier. Uh, Joe, let's give us a little more detail on that attack. What uh, what exactly happened? What are the Israelis saying about this? Um, why do we think this is this is Hezbollah? Obviously, it. I mean, who else is operating right on the border in northern, uh, you know, in northern Israel, southern Lebanon, Hezbollah? That they basically own that territory. But let's give us some more detail on that, and let's talk a little bit more about the significance of this. Yeah, it's um, this is definitely different. Um, so, just briefly, on Monday there was a an explosion on on a highway in northern Israel, and a, a driver, an Israeli driver, was was injured, severely injured. I don't believe he died; he was severely injured. And the Israeli security forces uh, noticed that the attack or the ex- explosive that was used wasn't something that was commonly seen, especially in the Palestinian arena, okay? So they knew something was up already. This is something different already. Afterwards, so later on that day, they were able to catch the attacker. They found On the attacker, they found a, what the idea says is a suicide belt, and he was armed. They also said that he came from, uh, he infiltrated Israel from Lebanon. Adding to the explosive, uh, the explosive that was used, uh, the, the nature of the explosive, which is actually, I looked pictures, uh, I was looking at pictures of, uh, of the truck that was hit. It reminded me of the hum, and you can talk about this after Bill if you want, but it reminded me of attacks against, uh, American troops in Iraq, like where the, the Humvees, there was, it was just like filled with holes. Like it was like a penetrating charge, you know, or a directional charge. I don't know a ton about explosives, but, the first thing I thought was Iraq for some reason. So, um, anyway, uh, there's a lot more questions than answers, unfortunately, exactly what happened. So the Israeli defense establishment is only giving up us a, a little bit of information. They, it's suspected that it's Hezbollah. In my opinion, it probably is. Uh, and it's, again, it's concerning. They're inserting themselves into this, this conflict now, uh, in more than just trafficking guns into the West Bank, right? So, uh, so right now, uh, I think the Israeli, Israeli defense establishment is figuring out how to respond. They haven't responded, actually, which is interesting. Prior Hezbollah attacks, they've responded pretty quickly. Same day, they shell southern Lebanon, uh, but not this time. So I'm not sure there's something else going on there. And I don't rule out the possibility that Palestinian groups are involved in this as well. I don't know to what extent. 
it's possible. There were rocket attacks from Lebanon uh, in the last years in 2021, uh, where from southern Lebanon, where Palestinian groups were suspected of uh, firing these rockets under the auspices of of Hezbollah. So I do not rule uh, Palestinian involvement out in this one. So again, lots of questions, not enough answers. Hopefully we'll get some more in the next uh, few days about exactly what happened, because it was very strange how... Because this wasn't just right at the border, this attack. This was pretty deep inside Israel. So how was a purported member of Hezbollah able to infiltrate Israel, you know, all, you know, I think it was was several kilometers at least into Israel and uh, plant uh, plant an explosive? It was just, it's it's pretty pretty crazy, to be honest with you. So uh, lots of questions, Uh, but that's what we know right now. Yeah, I've been to that border up in the north. That is one of the most uh, secure locations. John and Joe, I'm sure you've been there as well. Uh, that It really does raise a lot of questions about how they were able to execute this. And, uh, you know, look, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion. I, as you noted, we don't have a lot of information on this attack. I don't if it is indeed a Palestinian terrorist group that that executed this attack. It certainly was done with the support of Hezbollah. Hezbollah knows that border better than anyone. It, things just don't happen down there without their their support. I, I I could equate it to, unfortunately, a lot of my analogies go back to Afghanistan because it's what I know best. But it would be like saying nothing happens in southeastern Afghanistan without the Haqqani network knowing about it. When the Taliban launched an attack on a CIA base in 2009, uh, combat outpost Chapman and uh, and killed multiple CIA operatives with a suicide bomber. It happened in Haqqani territory. You could be damn well, even though it's never been directly publicly linked back to them, you could be damn well sure that the TTP, which executed the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan, executed that attack, did it with the support knowledge uh, of the Haqqani network. And it has to be the, the same thing here. Um, any attack coming from the northern border uh, of Israel from Lebanon, I, I'm, I'd be certain that Hezbollah has a hand on that. John, uh, how is this a significant event? If if this is indeed is Hezbollah, is are, are the Israelis in fear they may be faulty, uh, fighting on multiple fronts as they have done in the past? That has been something very difficult for them to uh, deal with. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's that, that's for sure. L- let, let me just un- unpack a few things here. I think important to kind of um, just go over a few things about the attack, but also about the context for all of this. First of all, um, in recent years, we have seen a growing Hamas presence inside Lebanon. It's led by a guy named Saleh Arori. Um, He actually is the same guy that was responsible for the triple homicide of um, three teens in the West Bank in 2014. That was the thing that set off the war back then. Um, he had been based out of Turkey, um, and then he was sort of forced out. Now he splits his time between Lebanon and Turkey, and he is believed to be trying to create military infrastructure for Hamas inside Lebanon with assistance from Iran and with assistance from Hezbollah. So we can't rule out that this might have been Hamas actually operating on the border, which is a crazy thing to think about. Um, but it, there is a possibility of this. It doesn't rule out Hezbollah engagement here, but it could be more complicated than just Hezbollah did this, right? right? It could be kind of a chain of of actors. And again, you got to remember, they all operate under the umbrella of Iran. And that's the way Iran wants this, right? So that's number one. Number two, 
you got to look at where this attack took place. It's really, really interesting to me. So it took place in the town of Megiddo. Um, Megiddo is just north of the West Bank, just north of Janine, which is a pocket of chaos right now in the West Bank, right? We've been talking about it and, and Joe's been talking about it until he's been blue in the face that Janine is, is an area of instability. It's an area that the Palestinian Authority can't seem to get under control. It's an area where Hamas and the lion's den and others have, have really built up additional infrastructure. But what's also interesting here is that Megiddo is not exactly like a uh, a stronghold of Jewish Israel, if you will, right? This is an area where like there are Arab towns surrounding all of this. And it was in fact an Arab who was hit in the attack. And so I'm not sure that this was the, the preferred locale for the attack that was carried out. It may have been that, you know, um, it could have been kind of a test drive for, you know, um, whoever infiltrated that they basically place it and then they move on and try to stay a, a step ahead of uh, Israeli security. Maybe they already felt like they were being tracked and they needed to carry this out quickly. But the the placement of this, given where they, I mean, this is 40 kilometers deep into Israel. There are plenty of other towns that this guy could have, you know, um, operated out of. Instead, he chooses this area just north of the West Bank where there are not a lot of Israelis. So I, I, I got a lot of questions there. And I think the Israelis are probably looking at that too, scratching their heads and wondering exactly what the purpose of this attack was and what was going on. It seems like more of a trial than anything else. I should probably also just note that Megiddo, the name of Megiddo, if you're not familiar with it, okay, um, there, there's a mountain and they, they actually call it Har Megiddo. Now, if that sounds sort of familiar, it's the word that, uh, or the two words are actually the basis for the word that we have in English of Armageddon. Armageddon, yep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not forget this, right? Like, I, it scares me when that happens, right? Where something happens at Har Megiddo. Um, and, and that is exactly what I'm worried about, actually. And I'm sure it's what the Israelis are worried about when we talk about um, the lack of a response so far. They're trying to lock down every detail that they can. Because if they do need to engage with Hezbollah in the north, okay, it is absolutely, as you described, Bill, the, you've got the potential for a two-front conflict, and the Israelis do not want that. The last time they had anything remotely close to that was probably the 1973 Yom Kippur War, which was a disaster uh, for, for the Israelis, right? Really left some deep scars in the psyche of the Israeli people. Um, and so, you know, and, and on top of that, you've got the uh, Hezbollah is known to have Precision guided munitions. They're the only terrorist group right now in the world that we know of that has these, thanks to the regime in Iran. These PGMs could potentially strike at strategic targets in Israel, like their nuclear reactor, like chemical plants, right? Other high value um, infrastructure. So the Israelis have a lot to be fearful of if they have to go toe to toe with Hezbollah. This is all happening right on the eve of Ramadan, as we know, and people have been warning about an escalation there and a possible third intifada. So the Israelis need to be really careful about whether they open up another front. Um, you know, a lot has been said about Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. What he, I think, is known for um, after, you know, we watched him rule from 2009 to 2021, right? That was a pretty long sample. You know, people talk about him as being right wing and reactionary. At the end of the day, the guy's incredibly careful as it relates to entanglements with Israel's enemies. 
right? This is not a guy that likes to put boots on the ground. He doesn't like to have extended conflict. He knows that this can bog down Israeli politicians and it can be a drag on his own legacy, among other things. So I think he's being very careful for a reason. I think the Israeli security establishment is being judicious as they try to lock down all the facts here. There's a lot on the line that I would continue to watch. But I think as Joe indicates, there are definitely more questions than answers with lots of dangers looming. Yeah. And when you couple you know, the possibility of a two-front war with the political instability inside Israel right now, that can be the per, you know the perfect storm, the nightmare for a Netanyahu government and for the country of Israel as well. So I definitely think he um, and I concur with you. He's been you know the Israelis get accused of being indiscriminate, and one of the things I've noticed over the years is just how reserved they've actually been in their responses to some pretty horrific attacks. Uh, and I, I I do agree. I think he's thinking this through. All right, gentlemen, I, we, certainly a lot to discuss with Israel. Um, what are your final thoughts, your predictions as to what's to, to come this spring and summer and fall? I, I always hate asking this question um, of people. Uh, it's it's difficult. It puts you on the spot, but we're analysts and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to to try and read the tea leaves, read the future. Joe, I'll start with you. Right. Yeah. It's uh, very difficult to try to predict what happens in the Middle East, uh, especially yes. in, especially Israel and Palestinian conflict. Uh, I'll say this, though. I don't see a solution right now, or at least a working solution from both, the let's say, the Palestinian Authority and Israel to try to calm tensions right now. Uh, I'm actually seeing... Uh, a lot of uh, the exact opposite, especially from uh, the Palestinian Authority, where uh, members of the Palestinian Authority or the ruling Fatah party are, you see them on uh, Palestinian media, media rather, hanging out with known terrorists, with terrorist groups, and, uh, you know, trying to um, get support from the Palestinian street. So it's images like that that show me that I don't think, at least on the Palestinian side, at least the Palestinian Authority, isn't willing or doesn't or it just doesn't want to or or i'm not sure what exactly but they don't uh they don't want to end this and for some reason they're thinking that way and um so what concerns me more is that this isn't going to end this is just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and we've been seeing that trend slowly since again going back to may 2021 slowly getting worse worse and worse militant organizations have been establishing um have been establishing themselves in areas in the northern west bank uh they're growing especially palestinian islamic jihad they've been a uh, they've been at the, almost at the, at the forefront of this of this conflict of, uh, over the last year and a half, and uh, the rhetoric, especially the last weeks from uh, Islamic Jihad, uh, senior members of Islamic Jihad and Hamas, uh, is, is troublesome. They are they're clearly saying that they want to set the West Bank on fire. That's it, and that's what they're doing. Uh, so right now the Outlook is is bleak. I'm afraid. I I just don't see anything happening. Uh, I think positive happening, at least in in, in the short term. And, and Joe, I'll I'll ask you pointedly. Do you think we're in the third intifada here? Or do you think that's coming? You think that's a likely outcome? Yeah, I hear this a lot. Uh, 
it's I see an armed uprising. I characterize this as an armed uprising by Palestinian militant groups. That's how I characterize it right now. I don't see Palestinian civilians in mass going out and fighting uh, or committing attacks against Israeli troops or Israeli citizens or rather Israelis. Uh, I don't see the Palestinian authorities, security services going out in mass to attack um israelis and israeli troops uh something we definitely saw especially in the second intifada so i don't see that yet but i would characterize this as again an armed uprising by palestinian militant groups in the west bank that it that is spilling into israel as well thank you joe and yeah you know what you you had noted something about the palestinian authority and i i've thought this and i'm i'm sure you agree the palestinian authority is not part of the solution it is the problem there's no quite a credible quote authority unquote in the west bank and and that's really the unfortunate situation that's existed there for for decades in israel is that they're just the israelis would like nothing more for this conflict to end but there just doesn't seem to be a, a credible partner out there in order to make it end because I, the incentives are all there for the Palestinian Authority, for Hamas and uh, Islamic Jihad and other groups to just keep this violence going. Uh, John, your your predictions for the near future, what do you think? Well, look, I, I would say that um, there there is a potential pivot moment in all of this. And I think, you know, Joe's right about kind of the bleak outlook right now. Um, but I think a lot of it actually stems from the current leadership, which is, I think, to your point, Bill, um, the Palestinian Authority is weak. Uh, it is sclerotic. It is uh, a, an internal mess. Um, a lot of that tracks back to Mahmoud Abbas, who is the octogenarian leader of the Palestinian Authority, who's been um, serving out a, a, a his four year term since 2005. <laughs> I love um, that. That always right? cracks me up. It's the long the the longest four year term ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a dog years or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. But but so but the thing is, is that. Um, Part of the frustration that we're seeing being expressed in the West Bank, and, and this is by no means an attempt to paper over Palestinian nationalist aspirations and their frustrations with Israel, et cetera. But a lot of this has to do with the fact that there is zero political horizon for the Palestinian people. They just got no participation in their own governance, let alone what their future would hold um, as it relates to independence. And a lot of that does track back to Mahmoud Abbas. He is uh, completely corrupt politically, <laughs> economically, right? This is a guy that does not belong in office any longer. There can be a way out of this. Now, by the way, it also could be a way into a bigger mess, right? There needs to be some kind of succession, right? And when that happens, if it's orderly, if it's planned, if it's structured, then you actually could see a stabilization. If it is a disaster, which unfortunately, I think maybe there's a, a you know a, a good chance of that as well. Um, well, then we could watch the West Bank sink deeper and deeper into chaos. But there does need to be a change. Um, and Mahmoud Abbas does stand at the middle uh, of this crisis. And so that should be, in my view, it should be something that the United States focuses on right now. If the goal is to try to head off this violence, first of all, we should disabuse every one of this Ramadan narrative, which we've talked about. It's insane. The other thing is, hey, look, we understand that you've got problems, right, with Israel and, uh, you know, questions about your own future. But, man, we've got a problem with leadership right now because your current leadership is unwilling to enforce security in these, you know, no-go zones that have emerged in places like, you know, Janine and Nablus. And this stuff can't continue. 
So that that's, I would say, kind of broad point number one. And, and so there is a way out. It could also be a way further into the chaos. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see whether the West takes any leadership role in this whatsoever. The last thing I'm just going to say here is that, you know, there are people who are cheering for an intifada, right? We see protests on the campus of University of Michigan. We see Palestinian groups out there saying, you know, this is going to give Israel what it deserves. And it's time, you know, it's time to, to you know, essentially, um, you know, lay down the olive branch and pick up the sword and the whole, you know, all that rhetoric. Let me just say this, that if there is a third intifada, which actually would be the fourth uprising, because there was one of the 30s, and then there's one in 87, there's another one in 2000. So this would be the fourth in a long line of uh, of, of violent campaigns, if in fact that's where we're going. But what people need to understand, and this would be the prediction, is that these things end in utter ruin for the Palestinians themselves, right? It tears them apart politically. It tears them apart economically. It exhausts their society. It leads to, you know, thousands of deaths and injuries and, and, um, and incarcerations. You know, entire young generations don't go to school and engage in violence on the front lines with the Israelis. These are things that the Palestinians simply cannot afford at this point. Right now, this is not to say that Israel is guaranteed to triumph, but the the overwhelming likelihood is that Israel will emerge victorious in such a confrontation and the Palestinians are very likely to lose this could be a death knell to the Palestinian nationalist movement if they take things to the extreme. And so it's just something to keep an eye on here. You know, people just think that, okay, well, this is going to hurt Israel, that it's inflicting violence against Israel. And that's, you know, that's their justification for it. I think a lot of proponents of the Palestinian cause need to go back and read their own history because there are great dangers that lurk right now with a decision of that magnitude. Joe, John, Thank you again for joining us on today's episode of Generation Jihad. I really enjoyed your insight into this very complicated topic. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Let's get you guys back on soon. All right, everyone, thanks again for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one, if we earned it. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again soon.